This is a tape recording made in the Chapel of the Open Book under the covering title, Short Studies for Young Believers, and it's picking up where we left off last time with the emphasis on justification or righteousness in the Epistle to the Romans. Now, in our last recording, we were dealing with chapters 1, 2, and 3. I will remind you that chapter 1 we can sum up under two capital R's. Righteousness revealed. You remember the passage? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And then chapter 1 on to the, uh, up the 20th verse of chapter 3, we have righteousness required. And it means that the whole world is brought in guilty before God, Jew and Gentile. Well now what we have to do is to consider the relationship of righteousness and redemption that is the closing part of Romans 3 where it commences verse 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus but as time is limited and space I refer those who are listening to this series to one belonging to this self-same series which is given under the very words redemption and atonement. Uh, not that we uh, do not wish to repeat ourselves, but in this case it's not necessary. So, because time presses and space, you refer back, if you wish, to righteousness as it's associated with redemption, and we'll pick up our story in chapter 4. Well, now, before we go any further, I would like you to realise, just in the large the disposition of subject matter in this epistle to the Romans, although we are limiting ourselves to the first five chapters. Uh, roughly speaking, this is not a literary structure. It would demand a good deal more subdivision than I've given it. But this may help you. Romans 1 to chapter 5, verse 11, constitutes the first great member. And it ends up with the words in verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We'll come to that presently. Then when you come to verse 12, we have the introduction of one man, and his name in verse 14 is Adam. Now that's the difference. The outside section of Romans, five, 1 to 5, Abraham is dominant. But Abraham is never mentioned in chapter 5, 12, 6, 7 or 8. That's an inner teaching. But instead of Abraham, we have Adam. We've gone back. Now the law, which is mentioned in Romans 3 or 4, or part of 5, that's the law at Mount Sinai. But when you have the law mentioned in chapter 6, 7 and 8, it refers to the law of sin and death. In the outside section of Romans, it sins with an S on the end. The inside section of Romans is sin, the root down beneath. So you see there's a need to watch your step as you come along this mighty epistle. Then we swing back again after the end of the 8th chapter. 9, 10, 11 deals with the dispensational place of Israel as the olive tree, followed by emphasis upon practice. And then the little piece that comes at the end of Romans 16, uh, where he speaks about a secret or a uh, mystery that has been hushed up or hidden, uh, that is to say, verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel 
and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but is now made manifest. We are back again at the secret that is particularly pointing to the introduction of Adam. Adam comes in Genesis. Adam is mentioned once or twice in the Old Testament. But there's no doctrine of the association of anyone with Adam as we get it in Romans till you get it in Romans 5, 6, 7 and 8. That was a secret. Hushed up until the moment came to be revealed. Well, so far, that's just helped you, I hope I helped you to see the reason why we stop at certain sections. Now then, for the next few minutes, chapter 4. This, I would like you to make as your heading with two capital R's, Righteousness Reckoned. And direct your attention immediately because of time to the various ways in which this word reckoned is translated in Romans 4. Verse 3, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's the word. Verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. That's the same word. And if you care to underline these, or tick them in your Bible, so that you can verify them, do so. Verse 5, But to him that worketh not, that believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And then verse 10 or verse 9, we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? At the end of verse 11, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and then it picks it up again as we draw to the end and says, verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness, and in verse 23 it was imputed to him, and in verse 24 it shall be imputed to us. There's no doubt, is there, that that is the keynote. It's struck over and over and over again. And while it's quite quite right to translate it counted, or reckoned, or imputed, there's yet another way in which it could be translated, and that is numbered. Will you first of all turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke 22.37. The Gospel according to Luke 22.37. Verse 37, But I say unto you, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. Now there's our Saviour quoting from the prophecy of Isaiah. But I dare say you know, uh, prophecy of Isaiah intimately enough to know that there we have the word numbered. I'll read it, verse 12. Therefore will I divide the por- him the portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered. In the New Testament, he was reckoned. He was counted. And so we have this principle. Now, that this will be a help to us. Our Saviour is set forth in the Scriptures as sinless, righteous, holy, acceptable, 
the beloved of the Father. He knew no sin. He did no sin. And yet, he was wounded. He was bruised. He died. He was crucified. Why? How could that be possible? How could it be written, it pleased the Lord to bruise him? It's all wrapped up in that word, reckoned. He who did no sin was reckoned among the transgressors, that we who have done many sins should be reckoned among the righteous. It cuts both ways. If God's reckoning is such that he could treat his son like that who was spotless, then we could have no hesitation in saying it was done on our account that we who are far from being spotless can be treated as righteous. Now this principle of reckoning is perhaps one that we can illustrate by uh, up-to-date term. Well, not quite up-to-date. When I first thought of this illustration, it was some years back when you could get a golden sovereign. Uh, There are some people you meet who've never had one. But supposing... Supposing, I don't know enough about finance to know whether in the Bank of England they've got any gold at all. Uh, but the idea is that you handle paper money, uh, it's convenient, uh, but there is the equivalent in gold somewhere or another under the care of the Bank of England. I hope so, anyhow. anyhow. Uh, you do know that some people prefer paper money because they say you uh, double it when you put it in your pocket And when you find it out, it increases. But I'm afraid that's a play on words. Don't trust that too far. But now here is a a pound note. Uh, But it definitely warns you. It is not a pound. It is not a pound. It reads, Bank of England, I promise to pay on demand. If you say, well, it is a pound. All right, friend. Supposing we had, and I've seen this done, a golden sovereign dropped into a furnace. So it's all right. It'll come out the other end, a blob of gold, and you've got it. Drop that into a furnace, and it's valueless, it's gone. You see, this is of no value itself. The golden sovereign is. So my faith that makes me righteous is of no value itself. The only thing about it is that it links me onto the real thing. And, while the real thing is there, I can get my money's worth. But if that's not there, I could have stacks of it. You know what happened uh, when the war finished in Germany? You could get millions of marks, but they were valueless. So, never think that your faith has earned salvation. Your faith is only reckoned for the real thing in the mercy of God. For he was reckoned for in the mercy of God for us. Now, let's see for the few minutes we have left on this first recording, uh, how the subject is dealt with in this chapter 4. What do we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? And the implied answer is nothing. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath well off to glory, and the implied intervention is, but he hasn't. Not before God. But what says the scripture? Oh, that's a good idea, isn't it? You see, we start arguing one another and we get nowhere. We say, what saith the scripture? And we are on solid ground. But what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, if you go through this chapter, you'll discover two expressions. One is to be counted and one is to be counted for. And they differ. God hasn't to count me 
uh, for a sinner because I am. But he counts my faith for righteousness, but it isn't. You see the difference? His faith was counted for righteousness because it was resting in the work of another. So he says, Blessed is the man to whom the law will not impute sin. That's the real thing. Because he could, if he was still unsaved. And Abraham is set before us as the example. He says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Paul is very strong on this. Let's get it all over again in uh, chapter 11. Verse 6, in case anyone should doubt the difference between grace and works. Verse 6, And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise work is no more work. I don't think you can get it any other way than that. It's one or the other. The wages, the things you earn, the wages of sin is death. The gift which you do not earn, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, chapter 4 again, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth thee who? Don't minimise this, friends. Don't alter it. Justify the ungodly. It's already prepared in chapter... um, uh, No, not prepared. We're waiting for it to come again in chapter 5. Christ died for the ungodly. There is a need and a place for repentance and for confession. But we mustn't slip those in as sort of part payments. The emphasis in the next chapter is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The repentance, the confession, the faith, they all have a place. But that was done for us. So it says here, he says that uh, him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Then he gives you the example of David. Even as David, there's both of them, Abraham and David, both of them in the line of Christ. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now do notice the argument. It's to show us that God imputes righteousness without works. But he puts it the other way around in the proof, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He proves the one by the negative of the other. He says, this is a proof that God imputes righteousness without works because he does not impute sin. So if he does not impute sin, he never leaves you blank. You see, a person who has no sin and has no righteousness is not a fish found or good red heading. He doesn't come in the story at all. It's one or the other. So God never takes away your sin without giving you a righteous standing instead. Bless you be God. So now we've had stressed in this opening section the principle upon which God works. We'll pick it up again presently, but we'll bring this to a conclusion in the last few verses of chapter 4, the way it is applied to us. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You remember, 
in the Old Testament. And it now applies to you and to me. Verse 22. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. That is a blessed thought in the scriptures, isn't it? You get the biographies of these Old Testament and New Testament saints. You get their lives set before you. But it's not only for their own sakes, but for ours. It was not written for his sake only that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him. You see, faith was the link. Faith didn't make the righteousness. It was counted for. It was of no value in itself. But it says, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So the resurrection is a part of the finished work of Christ and to stop short at the cross is to stop short too soon. The cross and the resurrection go together. Now a little revision in verse 25. I'll read it as it stands first. Who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification could lead the mind in the English to think that he was raised again in order to obtain our justification. But the strict rendering is this, who was delivered because of our offences and was raised again because of our justification. The very fact that our justification was a complete thing in the sight of God by the finished work of his son, he was raised from the dead. Well, that's brought us through our first 20 minutes. A rather a rush, a bit of a cram, but I trust enough has been put into it to stimulate the young believer who will then make these wonderful stories and passages and doctrines his own.